This is Persuasion and the Public Mind. I'm Mark Bourdine. Today I'm talking with Tim Borchers, author of Persuasion in the Media Age and Vice President for Academic Affairs at Peru State College. We're going to discuss the connection between motivational appeals and persuasion. When we talk about motivational appeals, we're really talking about feelings-based concepts, including needs and values, as well as emotions. So Tim, why are feelings important in the persuasion process? Well, going back to the ancient theorist Aristotle, he identified emotions as being a very powerful form of persuasion and that sometimes people don't always uh, listen to their logical side. Uh, they, they don't always um, do processing with, their, with logical reasoning, but they make decisions based on how they feel. So persuaders know that they can do a, an effective job of getting through to people by focusing on their feelings and focusing on their emotions. Uh, there have been numerous theories and, and a lot of studies that have been done since Aristotle, obviously, that confirms his perspective that, that emotions are, are a powerful uh, form of persuasion. And so it's something that persuaders shouldn't ignore. But I think as, as recipients of persuasive messages, we really need to be careful that we uh, don't get sucked in by emotion all the time on making decisions and that we, we do use some, some careful thinking to, to make especially the important decisions in our lives. What about the use of feelings when making moral decisions? Emotions can be very powerful to help us make moral decisions because they they invest us in the process. They help us to uh, become involved in ways that we might not normally become involved and and then take actions based on that involvement. So when we when we think about some of the great moral questions of our time, uh, quite often you might think of of large protests that have taken place, for instance, in support of a uh, in support of a moral cause. Those protesters certainly aren't just using logical reasoning or the the credibility of of the speaker to attend. They're they're there because they feel strongly and passionately about it, and that strength of their of their emotion helps to. Um, protest maybe maybe it brings them out to the polls a lot of uh, a lot of times elections are decided by voter turnout and that voter turnout is is something that's often emotionally based and something that that really guides people when making moral decisions because uh, instead of just using logical reasoning they it's it's how they feel about it and so not everything can be put into uh, words or expressed through uh, quantitative uh, reasoning or through through logical reasoning. So sometimes that, that is what we have to rely on is our emotions to help us make moral decisions. In your book, you break down feelings into the subcategories of emotions, needs, and values. I'd like to define these categories a little more and show how they relate to the persuasion process. Let's start with emotions. What do we know about the nature of emotion, how we use emotion, and how emotion can affect our decision-making, either positively or negatively? So emotions are belief systems that, that guide how we understand our feelings. There's they're something that, that we learn based on our beliefs. So uh, growing up, you might be um, told, like I was chased by big dogs when I was a child, so I have a fear of animals and large dogs in particular because of the experience that I had with them. So our experiences create the 
the beliefs that then uh, help us react or respond to uh, different emotional settings. Uh, we also learn how we're supposed to act out those emotions uh, based on our culture, based on society. They tell us what, what we're supposed to do or what we're supposed to feel in, in different situations. And, and persuasion, obviously, is an important part of that because a lot of, a lot of people crime, for instance, is, is an emotion that, that people fear crime uh, based on watching a lot of television. So we, we learn how we're supposed to think about crime and how we're supposed to feel about crime based on our exposure to media and, and our exposure to, to news coverage about, about crime. Typically, people live in much safer areas than they think they live in. So mm -hmm. that's uh, an example of, of how that emotion is, is learned through our interactions with others. Okay. There's a long list of emotions that, that persuasive theorists have identified. Um, fear is probably the one that's been studied the most, and, and there's a lot of different discussions about what, what fear is and how effective fear can be as an emotional appeal. Uh, a lot of the, the research says that, that it's very effective up to a point, and then uh, after a certain point, you can, you can almost scare people too much that they don't pay attention to your message. Uh, but fear is, is one that's been, that's been studied quite a bit and used quite a bit. Obviously, if you think about a lot of political candidates these days, um, fear is a, is a constant selling point to, as part of their message. Sure. They're trying to get voters to, to be afraid of the other candidate, to be afraid of what might happen if that person is not elected. So I think we're going to see a lot of that as the 2020 campaign develops. Uh, some other anger would be another would be another emotion. Oftentimes, politicians uh, play on anger. Uh, they, they try to get people to be angry about something because that means they'll they'll go vote for it. Uh, shame. You might think of a lot of commercials that that shame you into purchasing a product or or supporting a service or a candidate. So shame can be another another pretty powerful emotion. And like I say, there's there's a long list of emotions that have been studied over the years. Fear is probably the most the most commonly used emotion, and it's one that's that's received a lot of study. Uh, but you can look at advertising, listen to politicians, and you can certainly identify a lot of other emotions that have been used. Okay, uh, let's move on to uh, the needs category. Uh, persuaders um, often suggest that their ideas, products, or services can help fulfill our need for things like mm, safety or uh, self-fulfillment. Uh, clearly, they've been guided by the work of uh, Maslow and his hierarchy of uh, needs theory. Would you uh, explain how that theory works? Like you said, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is, is a very commonly used uh, theory in, in persuasion, and it's something that, that helps to identify basic or, or different levels of, of needs that people have. So at his most basic level are physiological needs. So this would include things like eating, drinking, sleeping. Maslow said that if you don't have those needs met, you can't uh, achieve other needs. So first thing, you, you've got to make sure that you have those, those uh, basic needs met. After that, then, then we have safety needs, and that's the, the feeling that, that we need to be safe from criminals, maybe safe from the weather, uh, safe from wild animals, uh, but that we just need to feel safe in our environment and that we can't really process persuasive messages if we're not feeling safe. So mm -hmm. persuaders need to make sure that, that their audiences uh, feel safe 
And then after that, we start to get into some of the more complex needs. Uh, one of those is, is the love needs that would be next. And this says that we have a hunger for relationships with people, that we try to seek out relationships with people uh, because we have that need to connect with them. Okay. And then after love needs would be esteem needs, and that's um, being able to feel good about ourselves. So um, after we know that we love people and they love us, then we can, then we can feel good about ourselves. Um, it's when if you think of a friend that always lifts you up or gives you compliments, uh, that's someone who is is fulfilling that need for you. Uh, certainly, persuaders uh, fulfill that need, or or they try to sell you products so that you uh, can feel good about yourself, or at least so other people can think highly of you. Uh, so that would be an example of that. And then finally, is self-actualization, and and this is something that that's very difficult for for people to actually achieve, and it's kind of a theoretical concept, but it's this idea of of being all that we can be. Mm-hmm. All right. And persuaders often might try to sell us a, a vacation, for instance, that will help us feel like we're self-actualized, or uh, maybe a particular. Um, course in poetry or a course in drawing or photography that that someone might uh, try to sell you might help feel that you're self-actualized politicians probably speak about this at more of a global level that that trying to help the country feel self-actualized um but it's it's hard to actually achieve that um, maslow says and it's it's something that we strive for so basically he said that we have to first have our basic needs met and then we have to feel safe uh, before we can experience love or experience uh, esteem. Uh, and then we need all those met before we can feel self-actualized. Got it. Yeah. All right. Well, this uh, takes us to the values category. Um, how are values developed and passed on? And, and how do persuaders use the idea of values to connect with us? Values basically are... are standards that guide our actions. So if you think about why you do certain things during the day, it's probably because there might be some kind of value that's, that's underlying that. And, and we learn values, of course, through, through our culture. We learn values through our, through our families. We learn values through schools. Uh, we learn our, our law is embedded with values. There are quite a, quite a few values that are embedded within the law. And those, and those values all, like I say, they, they guide the actions that we take. They guide our behaviors. And um, there are a lot of different ways of, of breaking them down uh, into, into different categories. Uh, the, the theorist uh, Rokic came up with terminal values and instrumental values. Uh, terminal values are kind of the ends to which we live. So a comfortable life would be an example of a terminal value. And you can, you can think of a lot of ways that, that persuaders might try to sell you products to help you have a, a comfortable life. Equality would be another terminal value, uh, an end to which we aspire. A lot of politicians might uh, develop policies or they might have platforms that, that promote equality as that end goal. And then instrumental values are, are ones that, that help us get to those goals. So they're kind of uh, goals for, for living. So, for instance, uh, uh, having a value of being cheerful. A lot, a lot of people might, might think being cheerful is a, is a positive value and they, they try to be cheerful all the time or being clean or logical or loving. So there are a lot of different values that, that will guide people's actions and, and help, them, help them make decisions. And so obviously you can, you can see how, how persuaders play into those values in terms of, of trying to um, persuade you that, that a particular value is, is an effective value, uh, a value that you should pursue, 
or or that there's certain ways of living that you can achieve by purchasing their product or their service so that you can achieve the value that they're promoting. Okay. Well, this um, next question might piggyback on a little bit of what you just uh, talked about, but uh, considering everything we've talked about so far, how do persuaders construct uh, motivational appeals? I mean, what what are the uh, key techniques involved? There's a lot of different ways that persuaders can uh, draw on emotions or or call on the audience to use emotions. Um, They can use personal relationships is a, is a popular way of, of promoting emotions. And so as you look at political candidates, they try to create personal relationships with people so that they feel connected to them so that then you're, you're more apt to use emotion. Uh, if you're, if you think you have a connection with someone than it, than if you don't have a connection with someone. So building relationships is, is pretty important. Um, using uh, a narrative form so storytelling can be can be an effective way of of calling on emotions uh, because narratives or stories get you involved they they make you excited they make you scared they make you anxious for the for the resolution so so stories are are a particularly good way of of creating emotions humor is is a good way as as well a lot of advertisements think about super bowl advertisements for instance a lot of them use humor and a lot of the time the the humor is making the point of, of some kind of emotion is underneath that. Yeah. And um, visual communication is, as well as, is probably a, a primary platform for this in that uh, they're able to say a, a picture says a thousand words is the saying that we have. And, mm-hmm. and it's oftentimes um, political candidates have used this for years. The, the infamous Daisy Girl ad showed a picture of a little girl and then a, a nuclear bomb used back in the 60s in, in, the, in the political campaign. And so a, a really good example there of how, how a, um, a picture, a, a, a video image told a story that certainly drawed on people's emotions. So those are some of the main, the main ways that, that persuaders are able to communicate about emotions uh, by using visual communication, by using stories, by creating personal relationships with their audiences. You also write about the social construction of effect, which takes place from childhood through adulthood. I'm wondering if you can take us through that process. Well, as I've as I've mentioned all along, we we learn about emotions. We learn about feelings. We learn how we're supposed to respond in certain situations, and and that starts uh, when we're when we're young and continues uh, when we're adults, and then we pass that along to younger generations as well. Uh, so it's very much a part of the the mainstream culture uh, how, how we're supposed to respond to these different stimuli. Um, there's a lot of a lot of uh, examples of how how we're supposed to feel about love, for instance. And, and certainly there are norms that are part of that. And so when we think about love, for instance, most of the time we think about heterosexual love. Uh, so that's how, how we've been often trained. But obviously there are many different types of love and many different ways of thinking about love. Uh, and, and that's true of a lot of different emotions. So we learn the emotions. The emotions are, are part of the persuasive culture in which we live. Uh, there are certainly some versions of, of how we learn emotions that are seen to be more uh, acceptable than others. And so, again, it's, a, it's another good example of, of how, um, how a product of persuasion is, is perpetuated within the culture and, and how it takes on the kind of the, the meaning that the dominant culture gives it. 
As we become adults, we continue to develop socially constructed beliefs about emotions, needs, and values. Tim reminds us that the constant barrage of new products, services, and ideas provide us with many ways to satisfy our needs, but because those needs are based on the consumption of goods, they are easily satisfied. Producers are forced to create new products and services to fulfill new needs, which must be created by persuaders. As we continue to consume, our ideas about what we feel, need, and value will change as well. As always, there are additional resources on this topic listed under the podcast description. Persuasion in the Public Mind is available on most podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can find us directly on the web at anchor.fm forward slash persuasion. Thanks for listening. See you soon.